bring you greetings from Chevrolet Baptist Church, who met a little earlier this morning. And by way of interest in strengthening the bonds of affection and partnership between our two churches, I am going to have you greet them. What do you think? <laughs> so let's see. Shoot, how do you turn this around? Come on. There we are. Okay, let's try this. Hello, friends. Good to see you. Can you guess where I'm standing? Chevrolet Baptist Church. I'm standing in a church building. That's right. And not only that, I am standing in front of New Covenant Baptist Church. If, if you don't remember, we planted in February of 2018 and they planted coming out of Capitol Hill Baptist in June, July? July 2020. That's right. And if you look around, you might see some faces you know. There's Key and Bo Men. There's Jennifer and Philip Reynolds. Pull your mask down. There we go. There we go. And on the count of three, why don't you guys greet Chevrolet Baptist Church. Say something like, uh, greetings, Chevrolet. No, people don't say that. What do we say? Hello. Hello, Chevrolet Baptist Church. One, two, three. And you might remember Pastor James Choi. Pastor James, do you have a message for Chevrolet Baptist? This is super awkward. Hey, Chevrolet Baptist. Thank you for lending Jonathan to us. We love you. We just prayed for you. They did. They did. They prayed that you would uh, grow in the knowledge of God's word and faithfulness and that we would reach PG County even as they work to reach Montgomery County. We're here in Rockville, right? Yeah. So they're going for Montgomery. We're going for PG, all for the sake of the Lord. Lord willing, see you guys next week. There it is. Like I said, we're, we're, we're teammates, right? We're all, we're all working for Christ the King together. And insofar as we can strengthen the bonds of affection and partnership between our churches, I think that's a good thing. I pray that contributes to that. Anyhow, good to see you again, um, or many of you again, some of you for the first time. And uh, today we're going to think about the book of Deuteronomy. I am going to try to give you an overview sermon of the entire book of Deuteronomy. It's sort of like if you just went and saw Spider-Man No Way Home, and I said to you, well, what's it about? Well, it's a two-hour movie, but you could sum it up for me, right, in a few minutes, probably? Well, that, that's what I want to do with the entire book of Deuteronomy. Take about 40, 45 minutes to sum up the whole thing and its message. That's the goal anyhow. And I, I want to start just by reflecting on the idea of fitting in. I want to fit in. You want to fit in, want to be accepted, want to be liked. That's fear of man 101, right? We, we fear what people think. We fear man rather than fearing God. We want to fit in. As I say, I want to find my identity. I want to find my sense of self, my worth, even my justification, feeling justified in what people think of me. I'm a Gen Xer. I was in fifth grade in uh, the 80s, mid-80s. I don't remember the exact year. I have to work that out. Uh, 70, 83. And when I was in the fifth grade, Izod shirts were really popular. The cool kids wore 
Izod shirts. And when I was in the sixth grade, the next year, parachute pants were really popular. That's what we did to fit in. In high school, I worked to actually define myself against the crowd. Right? I wanted to be different. I wanted to be my own man, my own person. But there's a sense even as I was doing that, I'm defining myself relative to other people. Right? I'm making them, in some sense, even if it's by photographic negative, I'm making them the standard. Right? And when you move out of high school and into college, nothing really changes in this regard. And I'd even say there's a sense in which we are all still in high school. That's how one journalist put it a few years, a little while ago. He said this. He said, the older I get, the more I'm fr- firmly convinced of a fundamental psychological fact. We never really leave high school. Of all the forms of pressure that, one, uh, that can apply to a person, political pressure, market pressure, moral pressure, the one that matters most of all is the one that mattered in the lunchroom when you were wearing your class ring and letter jacket. It's peer pressure. The unbreakable bond of the high school clique. This is how you understand corporate activism. This is how you understand media double standards. And on and on we go. We could go through different areas of life. We're all trying to fit in, be accepted. We want to go with the flow or define ourselves against the flow. We want to be liked. We want to be longed. And that's why, more than anything else, we are always listening. You're listening to the news, listening to Twitter, listening to Facebook. What are they saying? What do I have to say to say the right thing? What's my group, my tribe? What what are they saying so that I I can say the same thing? What's the other group, the other tribe saying? So I I know not to say that. What's the correct position? What's the incorrect position? What if people call me names? What if they cancel me? i got to make sure I read the room here. We're always listening, aren't we? Listen to our kids, listen to our spouse, listen to our friends, listen to our pastor, listen to other voices, listen to the influencers, trying to figure out how to put myself in the right place. And people have always been this way. And that's why the Bible addresses it. So turn to Deuteronomy, which we're going to be covering. As I said, Deuteronomy also wrestles with the question of how people want to define themselves relative to the nations around them and are always tempted to listen to the nations. What are the other kings saying? What are, what are their gods saying? What are their priests saying? God has given his people all the advantages of being his people, of having his presence, of being able to hear him, of having his law, being able to listen to it. But there's this deeper desire too often that the people of Israel have of just wanting to fit in and be like the nations. Listen to chapter 31, verse 16. It's right towards the end of your book, 31, 16. I'm going to be jumping around a lot. Behold, 
You're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. It seems they don't want God to be their God. They want the gods of the nations. They want to, as I said, fit in and be like the nations. And so they will listen to those other gods. They will listen to those nations. That is their temptation. That, friends, always, too, is our temptation. Now, as a church, New Covenant Baptist Church is to be distinct. It is to be a a marked off, you are to be a marked off, distinct people. But you, your church, my church, Chevrolet Baptist, is continually tempted to love the God of the nation or the gods of the nation and nations, to be like them, to read that room, to read Montgomery County, to read PG County, to read the room of the U.S. of our particular subcultures and conform ourselves to that. That is our constant temptation. So God gives his people in Israel the book of Deuteronomy and he says three things in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, number one, I alone am God. God alone is God. Number two, he says, I love you, and I saved you. And number three, he says, so listen to me. And those will be our three points this morning. That's the point of Deuteronomy. God alone is God. He's loved and saved you. And now he calls you to listen to him. Before we jump to those three points, let me just give you a brief overview of the entire book. If I, if I could outline it on a, on a board for you, this is what it would look like. Turn to chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. In Deuteronomy, we're told, presents us with the words Moses spoke to all Israel, as Israel stands there on the edge of the promised land. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they've, they've walked up right to the border. They're about to go in, and, and Moses gives them a final word, and that word is Deuteronomy, right? It's sort of like, okay, kids, we've been in the van on this long trip. Now we're about to go into grandma's house. I need you to listen to me now. When we go in there, this is what you need to do. Right? That's, that's what we have in this book. I want you to behave in grandma's house. Speech. All right? In fact, it's not just one speech. Deuteronomy is divided into three speeches. It's basically three sermons that Moses gives them there as they prepare, prepare to enter. And it's easy to see where those three sermons start because it makes a geographic reference. Look at 1 verse 5. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab... Moses undertook to explain this law. And so then in chapters 1 through 3, Moses recounts the history of how they got there. Remember this, and then remember this, and then this happened, and that's how we got here. And then chapter 4 rounds out this sermon, this first sermon, by reminding the people to obey because the Lord alone is God. And so then the second sermon, look at four verse, chapter 4, verse 44 
Again, we get a, a geographic reference. It's, it's a new sermon. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Okay, so now, now we have the beginning of a second sermon. And in chapter 5, the Ten Commandments are repeated a second time. You'll remember they're back there in Exodus chapter 20. Now the Ten Commandments are given a second time from which we get the name of the book, Deutero, second, Nami, Nomos, law, second law. It's a second time it's been repeated, Deuteronomy, which is why we've, in English, named the book this as we, as we do. Uh, chapter 6 to 11 continue that second sermon, and really they feel like a sermon because the preacher just kind of goes on and on and repeats himself several times. Uh, he circles back and makes the same points over and over. And it's all about remembering that the Lord alone is God. And then chapters 12 to 26, after that, provide more detailed case law. You know, case law, like in situations of this, then you need to do that. In situations of that, you need to do this. That's what case law is. And 12 to 26, we get a whole bunch of case law uh, about worship, places of worship, dietary restriction, ties regulations for different feasts, and so on. And then chapters 27, 28 conclude the second sermon okay, by listing out the curses that will come on them if they don't keep the law and then the blessings that they'll, they'll receive if they keep the law. And then look at chapter 29, chapter 29, verse 1, and there we get the third sermon Look there, 29.1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab. Again, a geographic reference. And in this third sermon, we sort of get the bottom line. Look at chapter 30, verse 19. Look at 30, verse 19. Here's the bottom line. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. That's what it all boils down to. Choose life, listening to me. You can choose death, not listening. Uh, chapter 3, God uh, then teaches Moses a song that he is to teach the people that concludes the third speech. And then Moses blesses each of the tribes. If you look at chapter 33, you'll see him blessing the different tribes. And then the last chapter, chapter 34, describes Moses' death outside of the promised land. Okay, that's the book of Deuteronomy. You got it? Three sermons, a song, teaching, and then some blessings, and then finally death outside the promised land. That, that's an overview of the whole book. And what we learn is, you, you know who your gods are by who you listen to. So as you sit here this morning, here we are, a group of Christians on a Sunday morning and, or Sunday afternoon gathered in a church. Right? We, we profess Belief in the triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Spirit. Yet think back over the last week. Who, who, who did you listen to? What voices were important to you? 
You had to know what they thought. You listened to what he was saying or she. You really needed to know was saying. We want to fit in, like me in the sixth grade wearing parachute pants. Well, three reminders God comes at us with. Point one, God alone is God. Point one, God alone is God. That's the first thing he would remind us of. Look at chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32, referring to how God rescued them from Egypt and sustained them in the wilderness. Moses says, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you. By by the way, this sermon will be a lot easier to follow, but just by going along with me and and, and reading these things with me, maybe outline or underline these things in your text. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fires you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? You're thinking back to Exodus, right, and the stories of Exodus? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God. In heaven above and the earth beneath. There is no other. Powerful words. There is no other. New Covenant Baptist Church. Guests here this afternoon. There is no other God. Perhaps one of the most important verses in the whole book occurs in chapter 6. Look at verse 4. Chapter 6, verse 4. This is the famous Shema, you'll hear people say, which means Shema means here in Hebrew. God wanted them, he wants us to hear this. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, O nations, we could say as well. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is the unique and only God of Israel. To say that the Lord is God is not only to make a truth claim that you should believe in your head, it is to make a heart claim about what you should love and who you should follow. Look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. 
to hear in the Bible, to, to, to hear what, what the Bible means when it says to hear, to hear, ear, is to love. A heart. You, you, you hear with your heart because it's responding in love. If you, if you don't love, you haven't heard. You might think you've heard. You haven't heard. What are we most tempted to love? What, what, what are you most tempted to love? Social, cultural acceptance, fitting in, as I talked about. Material comfort, self-gratification in food or sex. Having a family, or a certain kind of family. Being a certain kind of church. A political power can certainly be a god. So can friendship. So can your work. Uh, what do you most love? What do you find most worthy? What consumes your thoughts all day, all week? What, what if when it's threatened, makes you angry? That's an injustice. How dare you do that to me? I'm angry. Your love is inside of that. What is it that makes you angry? You'll find your love there. God's first statement to you, to me, is I alone am God. I alone am to be your first love. I am life. I am most worthy. Besides me, there is no other. You were not created for anything else or anyone else but me. There is nothing more worthy than me. Nothing more joy-producing than me. They're vain and futile exercise. You can choose, you can choose, you can chase those things. I alone am God. And friends, we, we all know, we, we, I think, hopefully quickly confessed how pathetically easy it is for us to forget that God alone is God, how, how quickly we are distracted, how quickly we are tempted by other gods. Uh, again, think about your just last week. Did you live all week, this week, knowing that God alone is God, that God alone is the most worthy one, the most powerful one, the most joy-giving, pleasure-giving, hope-giving one. Is that how you lived in this last week? The one who ordained all of your days, all of my days, before one of them came to be. I, I find that there is emotional freedom. I find there's joy. Even if I didn't live that way this week, which... Too often I don't, when I, when I stop and I just sit and reflect on that, and I think, okay, God alone is God. I, I find freedom in that, do you? It's like, I don't have to sustain the universe with the word of my power. He's got it. I don't got to define meaning and hope and purpose into life. Figure out what makes my life worthy and write it down. I don't got to do that. God has done it.
Huh. That's a burden I can let go of. God, you're God. I'm going to let you define everything, define everyone, because you created all things. And friend, that's the good news, that even if this way you, you, this last week you spent being your own God or finding other gods, you can stop right now for a moment and realize, okay, there is a God and he's not me. And he's there. If you're here this morning and you're wondering about Christianity, part of what makes us Christians uh, here is that at some point, each member of this church, and born-again members of other churches, we, we reached the end of ourselves. And we realized how good it is to know that God is God and not us. Strangely, it's good. It feels good if you've been there. It feels good to reach the end of yourself. Ah, he's God. If you're visiting this morning and you don't know God in the person of Jesus Christ, there's a great discovery waiting for you that there is a God in heavens and he does what he pleases and he sustains and creates all things by the word of his power, including you and me and every atom of our body. Now there's more to say in this news, but you've got to start there. There's more we got to think about how we've been living in rebellion against him and, and the guilt we've incurred because of that and the judgment you and I deserve. We've we got to get there. We've got to think about that eventually. And we've got to think about, okay, how do we get rescued from this wrath? How do we get rescued from this judgment? How, how can I be made right with God? We need to get to that. We'll get there. But still, I just want you to start right here. That God alone is God. And it's good. Because he's good. The giver is better than the gifts. You and I are distracted by lots of gifts. The giver is better than the gifts. Turn to chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, is that commandment meant to be a burden? Or is it meant to point us to the pathway of freedom and joy and life? Well, remember what Moses says at the end of this book. Well, I read it to you earlier in chapter 30. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Now choose life. Choosing God and rejecting all other gods is choosing life because he is life he created all life all life comes from him why would you choose some other God who did not create life and who is not life over and against the one who is life and created life so again, is the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You and I in our sinful state hear that and think, oh gosh, that sounds like a burden. That's irrational. It's sinful irrationality. It is sinful irrationality to say it's a burden 
to choose the one who created life. Do you see? Freedom and joy and life are found in having no other gods before him. And then the second commandment, don't make any idols. I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous for your life. I'm jealous for your joy. I'm jealous for your freedom. Which you're not going to find out there, you're going to find in me. You shall know the truth, me, and that truth will set you free. So, listen to me before you listen to Facebook, before you listen to Twitter, before you read the latest book, before you listen to your colleagues, before you listen to your boss, before you listen to your spouse, your children. Listen to me. Again, we can discern who our gods are by who we most listen to and who we spend most time listening to. For the Christian here today, that brings us to a second point that God would have us hear from Deuteronomy. God loves you and has saved you. God loves you and has saved you. Turn to chapter 7. Chapter 7. We, we try to fit in and be like the world around us, but look at what God says in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. New Covenant Baptist Church, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You are to be holy. You are to be distinct and set apart. You are to be consecrated to, the, to God and his glory. Why? I'll keep reading. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, Peter, of course, repeats these lines to churches in 1 Peter chapter 2. That's why I know I can can apply it directly to you and not just Israel, because Peter does. And why does God love us? We'll keep reading. Because we have our act together. It was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the people. It is because the Lord loves you. He loves you. Why did the Lord love you? The Lord loved you because he loved you. That's what it says. It's not something in us. It's something in him. And therefore, all the talk of commands and laws in this book, which we'll get to in a moment, emerge out of God's act of salvation, out of God's love and having chosen us. The formula is not obey so that you may be saved. Rather, the formula is you have been saved, therefore obey. Get that? Not obey so that you can be saved. Rather, it's you've been saved, church. Therefore, obey. Look at chapter 5 again. How God introduces the Ten Commandments. Chapter 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then, commandment 1, you shall have no other gods before me. What's God saying to the Israelites? He's saying, you're mine. I, I, I purchased you out of slavery. I redeemed you from bondage. Therefore, Do these things. 
You've been saved, therefore. Obey. Look at chapter 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God commands his people to keep his law because they belong to him. And their name is therefore identified with him and his name. It's like my grandma used to say to us, now, me and my brothers and sisters, now behave like a leman. My grandma had this idea in her head that being a leman meant something. Now the good news for us is that was actually a pretty low bar. But, but you understand what she was getting at. Live up to the family name. The way you behave as a leman is going to identify the other lemans. God's like, I've purchased you. I've redeemed you. Therefore, live up to the name. The family name. Look at chapter 4. Verses 5 and following. Chapter 4. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses speaking, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? You see what God was doing? He, he, he rescues them from Egypt. He takes them and he, he plants them over here in the land of Canaan. He, he puts them, as it were, on a platform. And he says, okay, here in this land, I, I want you to obey my law so that the nations around will see the way you're living and say, what a wise people. What a wise God they must have. There's a sense in which the people of Israel would be like a mannequin. You know what a mannequin is, right? You go into a department store and they put the clothes on, right? This is what this sweater looks like, this pants look like, right? There's a sense in which Israel was to be this mannequin before the nations, This is what righteousness looks like. This is what justice looks like. Holiness, love, the wisdom of God. And they put them on the land, put them in the land, put them on that platform for the sake of that missionary purpose of displaying God's name, God's righteousness, God's holiness to the nations. What's a church? What's a Christian, a Christian. It's somebody whom God has saved. And he doesn't just save us as individuals. He saves us as a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. I'm adopted not just to dad. I'm Adopted to brothers and sisters. I'm adopted into the family. And then the family comes together and it's to be this little embassy of light, this outpost before the nation, before Montgomery County, before PG County. 
And it's not just me as an individual living a holy life. It's me as a people, me and my brothers and sisters as a people. Here's what righteousness looks like as a people. Here's what justice looks like as a people. Here is a new humanity. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. We were saved, not because we were obedient, we were saved, therefore we may obey and be that mannequin, be that people. So in Deuteronomy, God is at pains to remind the people that it was he who saved them. It wasn't their power. I went to Sunday school. I memorized a lot of verses in Awana. I show up every week. I'm a deacon. that's not what makes you special. What makes you special is the fact that I chose you and I saved you because I love you. Now, follow after me. Do what I do, says the Lord. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. And so, Christ was nailed to the cross. He was made a curse for our sakes. The record of debt against us was canceled. He was our substitute. He paid the penalty and then he rose from the dead, showing that the cost had been paid. And sin's power, death's power, vanquished. And the power for obedience, brother and sister in Christ, the power for obedience in your life and mine, the power to keep God's commands and to cast our natural-born love for other gods comes at least in part by remembering this gospel, by, by meditating on this good news, by remembering you've been purchased. Remember, I saved you. I need to obey. How do I obey? Okay, I've got to remember, he saved me. Meditate on that. Brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, have no other gods. Don't make idols. Okay, I'm trying to get better at obeying. I gotta go back. I gotta remember the salvation, the rescue. Because I have a hard time obeying. What about you? I do. Part of the power comes from remembering that salvation. A couple of illustrations. How this might work. Christian husband. Maybe you're not being tender to your wife. Maybe you're not laying down your life for her as you should. Why not? In part because you're forgetting who you are and who God is. That God rescued you. God saved you. Probably you're breaking the second commandment and you're worshiping some other idol. Idol of career. Idol of your image which comes out as your excessive sarcasm with your wife. Uh, The idol of another woman or another kind of woman. She doesn't seem to be living up to this idol of this other idea of some other woman that you have. You're also breaking the seventh commandment. What's the solution? Is the solution then to try harder? Well, no, it's, it's to remember that you are an idolater. And that God alone is God. 
that you belong to him, that Christ purchased you through his death and resurrection. And he's purchased you so that you might discover what you were created for and the fulfillment of everything you've been longing for, that you've been seeking out in these false and stupid idols. And now you're free from the enslavement of those idols and you're free to know the one for whom you were created. And you are now able to love her even as he has loved you. Pouring yourself out. Here's another illustration. Someone at church annoys you. Ever have that happen? Maybe just me? Maybe they're really chatty, Maybe it seems like they're always putting themselves forward. Uh, Maybe it's how long the preacher preaches. What is it? Somebody at church is annoying you. What, What do you do? Stop being annoyed. Stop being annoyed. Love him. Love him. That'll work for like a minute. The problem, of course, is that your fallen heart keeps breaking the sixth commandment. You're murdering somebody in your thoughts. Or or, or maybe it's the tenth commandment. You're coveting what they have. And both of these means you are breaking the first commandment. You're worshiping something other than God. And the second commandment, you have an idol. And, And the fourth commandment, Sabbath, you're finding your rest in something other than Christ. See how they're all kind of together? Like a a spider web, touch one part, the whole thing vibrates. So what do you do? Well, you remember the gospel. God is God. He loves you. He has saved you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Now, Now you're done with murder and coveting because you now worship him as the most worthy, the most joy giving. So go to God and Say, I'm yours. You've purchased me. I'm yours. What would you have me do? How would you, how would you have me love this person that I kind of find in my flesh obnoxious? How can I love them and serve them even as you have loved me? And came not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for many. How would you have me do that with this fellow church member? Lord God. Lesson one, God alone is God. Lesson two, God loves you and saved you. Lesson three, listen to and obey God. Listen to and obey God. One of the great ironies about the book of Deuteronomy is that Moses had actually stood. He'd been in this place before. They're on the edge of the land, preparing to enter with all the people. This isn't the first time that that's happened. 38 years before they'd been standing there. I don't know if you remember that. Look at chapter one, verse 26. God had said, go in, and they hadn't. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Remember when, when they sent in the spies, and they, oh, the people are huge, and they got scared, and they ran away? They've been here before. And now, they here are, now they're here again, second time, take two, about, about to get out of the minivan and go into Grandma's house. And what is Dad saying? He, he's saying, listen to me. Don't forget everything I've said. Obey me when we go in. Chapter 4, verse 1. Look there. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live. Look at chapter 4, verse 23. 
I'm going to read a bunch of these. I, I, I want you to see it. I want you to feel the weight of it. Chapter 4, verse 23. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look at chapter 11, verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Look at chapter 17. This applies to the king too. Chapter 17, verse 18. And when the king that I set over you sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. This isn't just for common folk. This is for every political station. Look at chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 2. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster with them plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of the law. Listen to me, says the Lord. What did he want from his people when they entered the promised land? To listen to him to remember the things he had said, to obey him. And did you notice that listening to God's word is always described as the means to life? Think back to the verses I just read, chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to the statutes and do them that you may live. Chapter 6, verse 2. Keep these commandments that your days may be long. That's why we get the blessings and curses in chapter 28. Turn to chapter 28. Verse 1. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Look at chapter 28, verse 15. But... If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And that's why God says through Moses, as we read earlier from chapter 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life. Adam and Eve chose not to listen to God. And they died. Had they listened to God, they would have lived. Listening to God gives life. One of the most basic lessons of the whole Bible. Listening to God gives life. There's a sense, friends, in which the Christian life is really simple. Do you want to grow? Do you want to mature as a disciple? Do you want to follow after Christ? Then submit yourself to listening to God. Submit yourself to the 
what are called the ordinary means of grace. So often we as Christians like, okay, I want some powerful movement of the Spirit. I want the wind of the Spirit to come. I want the mountaintop experience. I want something extraordinary. And then I'll really follow after. I need a miracle. Then I'll follow. And, 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 and the wisdom of pastors and churches and theologians of the ages has just said, no, no. Submit yourself to the ordinary means of grace. Reading the Bible, sitting under the preaching of the Bible, praying the Bible, seeing the Bible. That's it. These are the means, the conveyor belt of grace. If you want the water, borrow an illustration from John Piper, if you want the water, stand in the riverbed. That's where the water comes. You want to drink water? Stand in the riverbed. Do you want grace, Christian? Read the Word. Having spent a little bit of time in the Christian life and discipled a number of individuals, I can tell you there is a one-to-one ratio between men I've discipled, men I've spent time with, and, and, and watching women as well, between those reading their Bibles and growing in maturity. One-to-one ratio. There's also a one-to-one ratio between those kind of stagnating in the faith and falling backward and kind of dwindling in the faith and those ignoring their Bibles. In some ways, i got to tell you, the Christian life is simple. It's that simple. God's like, I'm going to make this easy for you. Here's my book. Read it. Listen to it. Submit yourself to it. The secret things belong to God, we learn in chapter 29. But the revealed things he gives to us. Listen to them. We spend so much time thinking about, even debating the the secret things of God. That's not the point. Look at the revealed things. They're right here. Day after day. Rise in the morning. Read your Bibles. Listen to him. Come to church. i got to tell you, every week, even when I'm not doing a great job reading my Bible, every week I come to church. I sit under John Joseph's preaching, and I have a mini-revival. I swear, every week, I have my own little personal revival listening to that brother preach. Every week I'm like, ah, yes. I want to be a Christian again. And then I go out and I kind of forget, and my life does this. And I come back on Sunday, I'm like, ah, yes. Words of life. That's why we gather weekly as Christians. It's right here, though, that Deuteronomy throws a curveball at us. After laying out all the blessings and curses, here's here's something tough to swallow, but I think we know it. God's like, you're going to fail. I'm going to lay out the blessings, I'm going to lay out the curses, now you know know what, you're going to fail, Israel, he says to them. In fact, you're going to whore after other gods. Striking language, right? Not very politically correct language, but, but there it is. You're going to whore after other gods. In fact, look at chapter 31, verse 19. God even tells Moses to write down a song and teach it to the Israelites that says in this song, they're going to fail. 
chapter 31, verse 19. Therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the Israelites. Have them sing it so that this song may be a witness for me against the Israelites. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenants. And when many troubles and afflictions come to them, this song will testify against them because their descendants will not have forgotten it. For I know what they are prone to do even before I bring them into the land I swore to give it to them. I mean, this, this is crazy, right? Imagine the coach in the locker room saying to his team, hey guys, when you guys go out onto the field, you're going to fail. And not only that, I'm going to teach you a song in the locker room so that when you go out and you lose, you losers, you can sing the song as a testimony about how bad you played. It's kind of what's going on here. Let me teach you a song that's going to testify to what you did and why you disobeyed. And not only that, look at how Deuteronomy ends. Look at chapter 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor. And no one to this day knows where his grave is. You can't visit Moses' grave. Forgotten. So, so here we are, at the very end of Deuteronomy, the book of the law. I got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, book of the law, first five books. We're right at the end. What, what do we get? What's on stage? A dead body. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow. Glorious story, right? And then, and then God rescues the people of out of Egypt. And then all the law, and then we get to the end of the Torah, into the Pentateuch, dead body on stage, curtain drops. Well, that's encouraging. What, what is this? Friends, if you know your heart and you know your attempts at obedience, you know your attempts at following after Jesus, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, says Matthew chapter 5. How's that going? Dead body on the stage. Isn't that your attempt at spirituality? Isn't that your attempt at religion and my attempt at religion apart from the grace of God in, in Christ? Dead body on the stage, curtain drops. Isn't that it? If you know yourself, remember what I said, uh, the vis visiting friend? We Christians are people who have reached the end of ourselves. Reaching the end of ourselves means we got to the point where we're like, okay, dead body on the stage, curtain drops. If you're a Christian, you get that. You understand that. That's where our religion gets us. Our attempts at righteousness get us. In fact, turn back to chapter 10. Chapter, I'm sorry, e, yeah, chapter 10. Look at verse 16. Chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. And one of the commands he gives, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. The, the command to circumcise your hearts is a, is a Hebrew way of saying, get new hearts. Or even get, get a new nature. Uh, or in Jesus' words, be born again. Is commanding them to do. But, but t tell me how you're going to do that. You're going to be born again. How, how can you get yourself to be born again? You can't do that. You couldn't cause yourself to be born the first time. You can't cause yourself to be born 
the second time. You can't, you can't get a new nature. Your nature is your nature. A leopard can't change its spots. Right? How, how do you do that? And what Deuteronomy is giving us effectively is, is a parable of humanity. It's about Israel, yes, but it's, it's about all of us. God has given us his law. He has promised blessing. He says, listening to my law is the way of life. Not listening to my law is the way of death. Choose life. This is an unbreakable, concrete reality. You, you can't get away from this anywhere. To obey God's law is to receive life. To disobey God's law is to receive death. That is an ironclad, unbreakable reality to life in this universe. And the problem is, we need new natures to choose life. But we, how do we give ourselves new natures? How, how can we change our spots? How can we cause ourselves to be born again? Now, if you walk into some churches this morning, they'll they'll take you to a text like Deuteronomy 28 and says, friends, if you want to be blessed, you you got to obey. You you give to this church, you'll be blessed. Good luck. Did you read what happened? Did you keep reading, preacher? What happened, Israel? What those blessings and curses teach us is that this, there's this unbreakable connection between obedience and blessing, between disobedience and cursing. But we've all disobeyed, every one of us. And that's why Israel is a real set-in-life parable for all of us. The good news of Christianity, however, is that the story doesn't stop with Israel. Another son of Israel came. And this other son of Israel kept all the commandments. He listened to the Father perfectly. He had no other gods before God. He didn't have any idols. He never took the Lord's name in vain. In his words or in his life. He, he was, that, he was that, that mannequin, perfectly demonstrating the righteousness and justice of God, not despoiling God's name because God's name was united to him. He, he never took God's name in vain. He kept the Sabbath. He honored his father and mother perfectly. He not only did not murder, he never hated. He not only did not commit adultery, he never lusted, ever. What would it be like to be, if you're a woman, to be with a man who you know never lusts? Is there safety with that man? He never stole nothing. He never lied or bore false witness. Never coveted. Never thought, I really deserve that. Oh, if I could only have this. He kept the Lord, the law perfectly and listened only to the voice of God because he had no other God because he worshiped the Father in heaven. So what are we to do? We're not him. What, what, what are we to do? 
Well, remember chapter 10 with its command, circumcise your hearts? Look at chapter 30. Turn to chapter 30. Look at verse 6. Chapter 10, circumcise your hearts. Chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Verse 8, you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Friends, we cannot circumcise our own hearts. We cannot give ourselves new neighbors, but God can. And God will listen to him. The message of the New Testament is the same as the message of Deuteronomy to those who have been saved. Listen to God's word. It's the pathway to life. It's the pathway of life. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God, said the Apostle John. Later he would write, if anyone obeys God's word, God's love is truly made complete in him. 1 John 2, 5. That's why Paul told the Romans, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And again, uh, visiting friend, if you are here this morning, how do you need to be? You need to be born again. How can you be born again? Well, turn from your own path and turn to Christ's path. Listen to him. Put your trust in him. Hold on to him can't save yourself, but you can hold on to the one who saves you, who can save you. New Covenant Baptist Church, you're going to keep being tempted this week. You're going to be tempted to listen to other voices. You're going to be tempted to fit in. You're going to be tempted to be like your neighbors and your friends and your colleagues on social media. That's not the path to life. You know that's not the path to life. And you'll succeed as Christians. You'll succeed as a church not through numbers, not through a program, not through being relevant. You'll succeed as a church by listening. Week after week, listening. The preaching, the Sunday school classes, the prayers, the music, by listening. God alone is God. He loves you. He saved you. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for rescuing us in our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So now, help Chevrolet Baptist Church, New Covenant Baptist Church, all the churches in Montgomery and PG County and D.C., Virginia, Metro, help us to listen to you and so be like you. In Christ's name.